Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Uh, Today I have another guest on the show and I am talking to Dr. Sheena Gill, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and certified eating disorder specialist who has been working with eating disorders since 2014. She received both her master's and doctorate in psychology at Lorna Linda University. Dr. Sheena has experience working with diverse populations of adults, adolescents and families at various levels of care, including inpatient hospitalisation, residential, partial hospitalisation, intensive outpatient and traditional outpatient. As a clinician, she takes an integrative therapeutic approach by utilising client-centred and humanistic principles to deliver cognitive behaviour therapy, dialectical behaviour therapy and family-based therapy treatment. She prioritises developing a therapeutic relationship with clients and their families to help them reach their treatment goals. So Dr. Sheena previously helped Shoreline, California-based eating disorder treatment center, develop their first residential treatment program and is currently the clinical director for Shoreline's outpatient programs. She is passionate about promoting inclusive and culturally appropriate care for those who struggle with eating disorders and looks forward to being instrumental to the continued growth of Shoreline. In her free time, Dr. Gina enjoys spending time with her family, playing with her dog and baking all kinds of goodies for her loved ones. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with Dr. Sheena today. You'll hear all about Shoreline's therapeutic approach to supporting people with eating disorders, exploring the inpatient and outpatient programs. Dr. Sheena will explore the ethos and mission of Shoreline with its individual treatment approach and an all-foods-fit model. She'll discuss different therapies used in treatment, outlining how the deeper work is combined with the symptom-based skills and behaviour change. So you'll get a real insight into Shoreline's approach and incredibly valuable work they are doing in supporting people to heal from eating disorders. So let's get to the conversation. Hi, Dr. Sheena, and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Hi, thank you. I know you've had a bit of a busy morning, haven't you? You've been like caught up in traffic and stuff. Like, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. I survived. But anyone who knows Southern California knows that there's lots of traffic, so it's a common experience, I think. So is that kind of almost like a daily part of the commute, actually, that you might might often face that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, right now, for some reason, there's a lot of construction, but there tends to be lots of traffic. I think high density population and all of those things make it an adventure every day. Sure. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a very desirable place to live, isn't it? Like, is it like really sunny and warm and beautiful at the moment? <laughs> It is. Right now, it's a little bit overcast. But typically, yes, we have very wonderful weather. You know, our locations are actually pretty close to the beach. So we get that beach breeze and sunny skies and palm trees, stereotypical Southern California experience, I guess you could say. Oh, nice. And that's why it's called shoreline treatment, is it? (laughs) I think so. I imagine so, because we're very close to the shore. Yeah. Yeah, no, nice. So can I get you first to introduce yourself to the listeners, please? Sure. So I'm Dr. Sheena. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and certified eating disorder specialist. I currently am the clinical director for outpatient programs at Shoreline Center for Eating Disorder Treatment. 
out in Long Beach and Laguna Hills in Southern California. I have been working with eating disorders since about 2014 and have seen a range of ages. So adolescents and up, 13 and up. And yeah, just really excited to be able to talk a little bit about eating disorders, about treatment, different options that there are for treatment, and be able to answer any other kinds of questions that you have for me. Okay, fantastic. Well, before I came on the call, I was having a little look at your kind of website and everything. And I was very sort of struck by the kind of ethos of Shoreline. It's sort of very kind of hopeful about kind of recovery being possible, individualized treatment. And I noticed as well that you use the all foods fit model, kind of where you're kind of like food neutrality, really, you know, making peace with food, intuitive eating principles and all of that. But could you just say a little bit more perhaps about sort of the general ethos of Shoreline? Sure, absolutely. Um, So we really strive to be very inclusive in our treatment approach. And so what that means is that we treat all different kinds of eating disorders. We also treat all kinds of different co-occurring things as well. And we really come from a place of wanting to meet our clients where they're at and be able to address the specific needs that each person has, because we know that even if two people have the same diagnosis, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have the same struggles. And so we at Shoreline really want to be able to address the specific needs of any one of our clients. We really want to get to a place where we can improve individuals' relationship with food and their body. And so we want to take away the sense that there's good and bad foods and rather move towards all foods fit. All foods are acceptable within your daily life. And that's okay to have any different kind of food, right? It's more about being able to be mindful and understanding a little bit about hunger and fullness and all those sorts of things. And so we really try to take away some of the unnecessary kind of stigma and negative connotation that certain foods have, and then also really try to help everyone feel included in the treatment process. So whether you are living in a larger body, a smaller body, come from a different sort of socioeconomic background or ethnicity, we really want to be the place that anybody who struggles with eating disorders can come to to get help and support. Mm. Yeah, it sounds fantastic, actually, that you really have that very sort of focused, inclusive approach. Because I know sort of still in the UK, particularly if you have residential treatment, it often tends to be a lot of kind of, I guess, like white, adolescents, sort of, you know, teens, often young people with the diagnosis of anorexia nervosa. And if you don't fit into that category, I mean, it's not as black and white as that. I'm sort of exaggerating a bit, but it is a bit if you don't fit into that category, sometimes you don't get that residential treatment or your treatment options are much more limited. I know you have experience of um, you developed the first residential program. Is that right for Shoreline or, or part of that? And do you have in your residential program, like people in all kind of all body shapes and sizes? Is it very sort of inclusive the way that is designed? Absolutely. Yes. So I worked really closely with our leadership and management team several years ago to help develop our residential program to be what it is now and putting into place some of the structure that we have because residential treatment is really about providing that structure and support 
for individuals that need that 24-hour care. I mean, we know that people of all different body shapes and sizes and struggles need that support. I think historically, a lot of what you are describing is what we would see more people might think is the only way to be able to get approved to be in residential treatment. But in Southern California, we do have a really diverse population in general, right? Our general population is from people from all different places of the world, right? And so we're really excited to be able to serve the people of our actual community of California at large, right? And and of the United States in general. I don't think it's not just limited for residential. It's not just limited to California, but we definitely try to help everyone feel welcome. And so we do what we can to try to incorporate various different cultural foods, different cultural activities as well, and have even our staff be pretty diverse so that the clients that come our way can feel like there's people like them there, you know, that they don't have to feel like an outsider. So we definitely try to emphasize that as much as we're able. Mm. And can you tell us a bit more about the residential program? Like, I guess it's a pretty big question, but what kind of things might someone sort of get through going through that program? What kind of different support? Yeah, I mean, it is a big question, but a really important (laughs) one, I think. If I hadn't worked in residential treatment before, I would have no idea what that means. And so I think the best way to think of it is getting the amount of support that you would get if you were in a hospital setting, but being in a much more comfortable environment because it's in a house, right? And so when you are in residential treatment, you get the opportunity to work with a multidisciplinary team. So that means you have nurses there, you have someone that's able to prescribe medication, you have therapists, you have dietitian. So there's a lot of different people treating you from all the different angles, all the different places that you need to be treated um, to really tackle the eating disorder. And so the nice thing about residential treatment is you do, you know, in our program, we have 24-hour nursing. And so even when the clients are asleep, there is a nurse there. So if something happened in the middle of the night, right, if they needed something in the middle of the night, there is a nurse there that's able to monitor and provide that support. We have therapists that are running groups that are meeting with the clients for individual and family therapy. We have the dietitian who puts everyone on a meal plan that's specific to them and then helps them get used to some of what is, you know, some of the things that come with being on a meal plan and having to now eat at more regular intervals when you're not used to eating that much or that often, right? And so there's a lot of support in that way. We also have recovery coaches who are helping that are all CNAs. And so they have some amount of medical background, or, you know, they would help in places like, you might see them in places like assisted nursing homes or things like that. So they help with some of these other tasks and they also run some groups. And so we have a lot of people coming together to help treat every individual that's there. We also have someone who meets with the clients, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, as well as, you know, our medical director that oversees that 
can help monitor and prescribe any medications that could be helpful within their journey in treatment as well. And we come together and have conversation about progress that clients are having throughout their stay with us. I know a really common question is how long do we have to be in treatment if we're in residential level of care? And I would say kind of on average, our clients are with us maybe six to eight weeks, give or take, depending on a few different factors. But within that six to eight week period, a lot of work can be done because we're seeing them every day, all day. Um, So a lot of progress can be definitely be made in that time. Mm. And then after that six to eight weeks, would they maybe then transition to sort of outpatient or like sort of partial hospitalization treatment? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say this six to eight weeks on average, but sometimes clients are with us a little longer, sometimes mm-hmm. a little less, but maybe they're even there a little longer, depending on how their body adjusts and how their mood adjusts and all of the things, right? But yes, after they discharge from residential level of care, they would typically step down to a little bit lower level of care, partial hospitalization or PHP, which is what I more directly oversee currently. And so we have two locations, one in Long Beach and one in Laguna Hills, both in Southern California. And at that level of care, they are getting a lot of services there as well, but they go home at night. So in that way, it's sort of like thinking about spending almost like, you know, the eight hours you would spend at school or eight hours you would spend at work. Instead of going to school or work, you come into a treatment program and we still do all of the group therapy, individual therapy, family therapy, meal support, all of those things still happen, but you're not having 24 hour support because you're not at that point, hopefully you would not be needing that, right? And so you have some practice of being in your life in the morning and in the evening when you're not in program. And then when you're in program, you get lots of support, right? You get additional therapy sessions than you would if you were just seeing a therapist outside and not in a program. You would have a lot more structure, but one step down, right? And then after that, you would do intensive outpatient programming or IOP. And that looks like basically the same, but half of the day. So you would be in program three and a half, four hours. And during that time, you still get a little bit of group. You still get some therapy sessions. But at that point, we're really trying to help provide a little bit of structure while you are much more immersed in your regular life. So whether that be going to school during the day and then coming to program in the evening, or that means, you know, going to work and then coming in the evening or in the day, whatever it is. Um, So then that way we can help as much as possible in all of the transitions as an individual gets more and more immersed into their regular life. Mm. And I think it's fantastic that you offer that sort of step down sort of care so people can transition gradually. I think, again, sort of historically, often with eating disorder services, it's often like very, very intense, isn't it, to then very little support, maybe sometimes. And that can sometimes be just such a shift to adjust to. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's one of the really great things about Shoreline is that we're able to offer almost all the levels of care that someone 
struggling with an eating disorder could utilize, right? The only thing really not being offered is hospitalization, which, I mean, most programs don't offer hospitalization. So I would say, you know, that's just specific the hospital and then going into treatment. So I think that's definitely an advantage that we have with Shoreline and something really nice, I think, a lot of times for clients that maybe start in residential, they know that they're able, if they live any kind of locally, to be able able to go from being in residential, knowing kind of the program, and then stepping down with very similar structure without having to totally adjust and, you know, share their whole life story all over again. There's a lot more of an ease of continuity of care because we offer multiple levels of care and treatment. And what types of eating disorders are you sort of mainly seeing? Is it quite a mix across all the different diagnoses? Yeah, I would say it's definitely a mix. I mean, I think something that we've been seeing more and more recently is ARFID or avoidant restrictive food intake. People that struggle with that are more commonly seeking out treatment, I would say, within the last several years. I would say probably because that is a relatively new diagnosis within the DSM and because insurance is covering that, right? So I know it's probably very different for any international listeners that we have, but in the US, we really rely on insurance coverage to get access to care. And so that's a lot of what determines, unfortunately, that can determine how long someone's actually able to stay in treatment. And so when once ARFID became a diagnosable disorder, we saw an uptick in the number of individuals with that diagnosis seeking treatment because we were able to bill insurance for it. So insurance started to cover it. And that meant that these people that had been struggling for years prior to it being an official diagnosis are now able to seek treatment and support. And so we've seen a lot more clients that have that particular diagnosis than several, several years ago. We also definitely see anorexia, but, you know, we see the full gamut. We see anorexia, we see bulimia, binge eating, other specified eating disorder. So we see a lot of things, but I would say say something that I've noticed is more of an uptick of clients that are struggling with ARFID. Oh, and with clients with ARFID as well, do you find that sort of treatment of those clients works well alongside people that are struggling with what I call, I guess, the more typical eating disorders, where there's more kind of weight shape focus? <laughs> Obviously, with ARFID, you know, the food restriction is usually sort of motivated by something different, isn't it, with sensory things or maybe underlying trauma. And I know there's often a lot of overlap, but I'm wondering how that kind of works in treatment. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's something that we have to definitely pay attention to because, as you said, there is definitely a difference in the presentation versus some other eating disorder diagnoses. I think that the way that we typically manage that is because our program really comes from this place of trying to individualize care within, of course, some constraint or some structure, we already kind of individualizing everyone's care regardless of their diagnosis. I think where we start to see there being something different for individuals struggling with ARFID is that we have to often take a bit of a different dietary approach. And so what kinds of exposures we give them or 
what kinds of things we expect in terms of completion of their meal plan and what goals we set could be a bit different. We also keep in mind that when we do a body image group, they may contribute in a different way, right? Their struggles may be something different, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not worth talking about still. So I think there is a bit of a different approach. And at the same time, a lot of the principles stay very similar in that what we try to do throughout the treatment process is provide different types of dietary exposures, therapeutic exposures, that kind of thing to try to increase the window of tolerance, if you will, or their comfort zone with what kinds of things they consume and what kinds of things they're willing to do. That part is kind of common thread within all of the different eating disorders. It's just what road you take to get there that I think is sometimes a bit different. Hi, I'm Al Mace and I'm an eating disorder and body dysmorphia therapist. I work with a range of clients from those struggling with the restriction, the obsessing around food and the binging, the overeating, the stress eating and those suffering with bulimia as well. Or perhaps you're just really wanting to get your weight under control, but it's not happening. The more you are controlling yourself, the more out of control you are becoming and your body is becoming. I really do understand these feelings because I have also been there and had it all. And that is why I've been running my practice the last five years, helping anyone, men and women, overcome these obstacles that can actually get in the way of you living a purposeful and happy, fulfilled life. So if this is aligned to you and you want support, come and find me on Instagram at I am Elmace, or my website is www.elmace.com, and I'll happily offer you a discovery call to see which option is best for you and hopefully get you sorted so you can live the most fulfilled and free life. Sure. I think just reflecting on what you're saying, I'm just wondering as well how it could be very valuable for people actually to have these slightly different presentations. Like there's a lot to kind of learn from one another, isn't there? And perhaps less competition or I don't know, it just kind of throws more into the mix, doesn't it? Which different perspectives, different ways of thinking about things, which I think could be potentially very helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that it has been really amazing in all the years thus far that I've been working with eating disorders. And primarily most of that time has been within a treatment center type of setting. It's been really great being able to see how clients that come from very different backgrounds, very different life experiences, very different diagnoses, have somehow something in common and can learn something from each other. And that has been really great to be able to see. And I think sometimes people really get surprised by that because they don't know that that's what they're going to experience, right? A lot of times the people that meet in treatment would maybe never meet in real life because they don't live in the same area. They you know, don't necessarily run in the same circles whatever it is, right? And so it's really one of the most powerful things I would say about treatment centers is having that opportunity to learn something from somebody that you maybe wouldn't have come across outside of the treatment world, right? And so, yeah, absolutely. I think it's really great when people have different experiences and then can still learn from each other. 
Yeah, no, 100%. And what about sort of atypical anorexia nervosa, which, you know, in the UK, that kind of comes under the other specified feeding and eating Mm -hmm. disorder. But do you see that presentation quite often? And is that something that would be treated at Shoreline? Yes, I would say that we see that pretty regularly. It's most commonly, just like you're saying, most commonly under the other specified eating disorder. I think we see that actually quite often. You know, one of the things that I think can really impact our clients, at least the ones that are living any sort of locally, is that we can't really ignore that there is an influence by society here. There is an influence in there's an excess of diet culture talk in this area. Um, And so I think that that can really impact individuals living here. And sometimes what that means is something that would definitely qualify as an eating disorder can go more easily undetected, where somebody who maybe started off living in a larger body lost a significant amount of weight by engaging in eating disorder behavior, but then was crazed or, you know, that behavior was reinforced because of this unhelpful outlook by other people. And so then that causes obviously not just potential physical harm, but also psychological harm. And so we will absolutely treat clients that struggle in that way as well, where maybe they have been very much restricting their intake and very much engaging in other types of eating disorder behaviors are not potentially not meeting like a weight requirement of being considered underweight or something of that kind. And so we'll definitely still treat those clients and we'll, again, because sometimes we do get into positions where we have to battle with insurance companies to be able to get people the care that they really need. We go to battle a little extra for those clients sometimes to get them that care. Yeah, no, it's wonderful to hear, isn't it? And I think it's just such a common problem, isn't it? I think often for, you know, people in larger bodies that have been so pressured by diet culture, as you're saying, being completely unvalidated and praised for their weight loss and perhaps haven't realized for a very long time that they've been struggling. But it's great, isn't it? Having these kind of conversations, I think, just kind of raising the awareness. The tide is slowly turning, I think. To I think so. Mm-hmm. I definitely think so. I mean, it's slow. It's a slow movement, but I definitely get this feeling of optimism and hope when I see how much even people that are in have like a celebrity status or something are able to use that platform to be more accepting of people as being actual people, regardless of what you look like, that doesn't have to impact the quality of person you are. And I think having more and more people utilizing that kind of platform to emphasize the importance of things like health at every size and body inclusivity and body positivity is really going to be beneficial in the long run, you know? And I think only time will tell how younger generations truly experience those kinds of movements and those sorts of PSAs, right? I hope that even current generations, current individuals struggling with eating disorders can really be impacted and see that health and beauty and value is not having to be 
identified specifically by body shape or appearance, you know, that there's so many other things about people that make them wonderful. And you can be a very healthy individual in a larger body that doesn't have to dictate your health either. I think there's a long way for us to go still, but I would definitely agree that there is some movement in the right direction. I was looking at your website as well, and I see with your outpatient therapies, I love the way that it's very much a kind of person-centered sort of humanistic principles, but very much like incorporating like skills, like cognitive behavior therapy, dialectical behavior therapy, like family-based treatment. Um, So it sounds like a real kind of balance of like looking at the kind of skills, building the therapeutic relationship. And I'm guessing as well, looking at the kind of deeper roots of the issue and kind of combining that. So I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about the therapy. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you said it very wonderfully. I think we definitely want to, just like we do in our residential level of care, we want to treat each individual as an individual once they are an outpatient treatment as well. And so whether they're in partial hospitalization, PHP, or intensive outpatient IOP, we really want to identify like what kinds of things that person needs to work on and provide that like integrative treatment where we are teaching skills, right? We are providing some sort of psychoeducation about coping skills and about like cognitive distortions and those sorts of things. And at the same time, being able to understand like if this person has experienced some significant amount of trauma in their life, how can we incorporate these skills as well as being able to relate to this individual? How can we incorporate those things together? We also know that we get a variety, clients that have had a variety of different types of treatment experiences where some have had treatment before for many years sometimes before they come to us. And so they are pretty seasoned and know all the skills. They know all the things they should be doing, but something keeps them from being able to sustainably do that, right? And so in those cases, we definitely want to take an approach of, okay, how can we make this experience different from what you've had before so that this can be your last experience in treatment? We definitely look at what that individual needs and then incorporate, whether it be CBT, DBT, various types of exposures, right? And so sometimes that's something that we can do in an outpatient setting where we might say, hey, instead of coming to program for lunch, let's meet together at this local restaurant to eat together for lunch and see how that goes, right? Or we might give them different types of assignments where we ask them to do something social that involves food because often social things involve food. And so we might give them that assignment to go do that thing and then come back to program the next day and let's talk about it. You know, and so that's one of the really cool things about when we have had a client in our care throughout the different levels of care, we're able to really provide that support and have enough rapport with that individual for them to know, hey, we're not just saying to do this really challenging thing because we want you to. It's because we know that that specific thing could be helpful for you. That's kind of how we try to incorporate those types of things in outpatient, and then see really how much more we're able to incorporate 
families, right? So whenever we have adolescent clients, how can we incorporate their family in their treatment process? Um, So maybe that looks like doing a family coached meal, having the family come in, let's all eat together and have the client practice asserting what they need from their family to be able to have enough support in having enough support for them to be able to actually follow their meal plan and feel secure in their ability to share what they're feeling and talk about when something is not helpful for them. We definitely try to incorporate all those different types of things, both in residential, but a lot of that actually does happen in outpatient because at that point, again, hoping that at that point, someone's in either PHP or IOP, that they are at a place of being more ready, both medically, dietarily, and psychologically, hoping that at that point, they are at a more appropriate place to do some of these challenges. Mm. Yeah, I think those practical challenges sound really valuable. And of course, as well, I think including the family as well, because I guess if you can get the family on board and like you're saying, get an individual to be able to assert sort of their needs and to be able to ask for the support they need and for the family to be able to listen and respond to that. I mean, that's just quite life changing, isn't it? If you can get that Mm -hmm. to happen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not even just with the adolescents, sometimes with our young adults, that becomes really important too. They need that practice of being able to assert what they need, assert how they're feeling, and then have their loved one actually hear them. And sometimes that happens only when there is a professional with that person telling them, hey, you should probably listen to your loved one who's telling you what they need. And so sometimes that can make such a big change in the way that that individual experiences their life moving forward, because we know that treatment with us is temporary. When they leave here, we want them to be able to make sustainable change so that they don't have to come back, so that they can feel empowered, so that they know that they're able, that they're capable and they can. Not that they have to rely on other people all the time, but that they can be self-sufficient in in their own process, in their own journey towards recovery. Yeah, no, that's the ultimate victory, isn't it? If you feel that someone has really been able to step into that place of feeling empowered and almost becoming their own therapist, you know, with support, of course. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's a really great feeling. I think that's one of the things that's been really wonderful of having had experience working in so many different levels of care. When I was working in inpatient and then also in residential You never get to really see how the story ends because when somebody's leaving either the hospital or residential treatment, there's still a lot of work to be done and you don't get to see how that goes. You know, it's almost like reading a book and then stopping in the middle right when it's getting good and then the book is taken and now you don't know what's happened. So it's nice to be able to now work so closely on the outpatient side to see how far someone can really go in their process, you know, and just in their life, like how much more confident someone can feel, how much more authentically themselves someone can feel in going through all the process and doing all the challenges and really taking it on. Mm, Yeah, it's wonderful to hear you sort of talking about that, because I think just listening to that, and I'm sure, you know, for the people listening to this, it just offers so much kind of hope and encouragement and inspiration about what is possible, really, when we do engage in an eating disorder recovery journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really, really hard work. And I really feel being on the treatment side of it and being able to provide that sort of support for people that really need it has been such an honor, you know, and I think that that part is it makes all of the tough days super rewarding to know that, hey, like we're in this battle together. You don't have to do it by yourself. We are in battle against the eating disorder, right? So let's do this together. And being able to actually see positive outcomes on the other end is really amazing. It's really amazing to be able to be any part of that experience. Yeah. So Dr. Sheena, if people want to find out more about Shoreline and the treatment, et cetera, you know, where is the best place to sort of look on the internet or social media, et cetera? Um, So I would say kind of all of the above. I mean, you can definitely find out more information on our website. So if you go on shorelineeatingdisorders.com, you'll find a lot of information there. You can also follow us on Instagram. We have been increasing our presence on social media, if you will. So we're really trying to incorporate more, like we have various like blogs and stuff we'll sometimes post. I think we post that also on our website. You know, we'll post our blogs. We also will post periodic like pictures of different like art activities and stuff that we're doing with clients. And so you'll be able to get a little bit more information there. We also will post any sort of like announcements of various services that we offer. So for example, we do a parent support group that actually I run virtually for parents that have a loved one that's struggling with an eating disorder. And so we do that every other week. And it's virtual. So, I mean, I guess technically you can be anywhere and join. And so being able to have that community where you can join and then be able to talk to other people having very similar experiences has been really wonderful. And so things like that, we will post on our social media as well as on our website. That would probably be one of the best ways. Outside of that, you'll also see on our website our phone number for our admissions team. So if you do think that you could benefit from getting treatment at Shoreline and want to hear more information specifically about that process, you can absolutely give our team a call. And we have really great admissions coordinators that can walk you through the whole process and they're really awesome and they are really knowledgeable and really caring. And so if that's something that could be beneficial, you can definitely find that info on the website as well. Okay, well, fantastic. Well, I shall make sure, you know, that the website and also your Instagram, and I've just started following you, <laughs> and I shall make sure that they're in the show notes so that people can, you know, go and check you out if they would like to. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, well, Dr. Sheena, I'd just really like to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been fantastic hearing about Shoreline. It just sounds like such a hopeful, inspiring, wonderful environment where people can really access support on their healing journey. It sounds like you've got some really sort of dedicated staff, you know, and people that are just passionate about supporting people on their journey. So just thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really awesome. And I look forward to potentially meeting again and being able to do it again. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Dr. Sheena's info all about Shoreline in the show notes. 
If you haven't got your ticket for our one-day transformational event inspiring prevention of eating disorders and body image, do go and get your ticket Saturday the 30th of September online, bringing together 13 different professionals, delivering talks and workshops. You want to be there. If you're not following me already on Instagram, do seek me out at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. And if you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.